We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the OBR Film Breakdown. This is part two of the mailback. If you missed part one, go back and check that out. We talked about the Baltimore Ravens getting just things stolen from them left and right. We talked about how the AFC North, the most dynamic division over over the course of 20 years and the challenges that presents the Cleveland Browns and how they have to take the division. It's never going to be handed to them, right? So... Uh, there's some good stuff discussed in that when we went through some some conversation about the offense defense um, you know specific very tailored questions about that so that's all the information you missed there we're welcoming you into part two now where Andrew and I are back any update Andrew on the dog cat situation I had noticed during the first episode uh, we have some like um, you know uh, some helter skelter in the background a little bit there might be some ruffling of the feathers just the audience wants to know are they, uh, is this a, a relationship that's going to work? Or are you having early, some, some early confusion? I've noticed I we've been doing this show for like, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 months now together pretty frequently. And, and Josie, your cat does not appear all too often, but, but he is on edge tonight. He's on edge and he is on top of you pretty frequently, which, which doesn't help, you know, the research assistant role you're playing <laughs> and trying to talk to me on a podcast. I'm just saying, what what's the early dynamic here that people want to know? They demand an answer. I think everything is great. The reason you don't usually see the cat is because the door is usually closed, and the cat's on the outside of the door. the The cat is in here because the door needs to be open because the dog is, you know, four four hours five five hours home now. So uh, he 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 is still a little unsure every time I disappear whether or not I'm ever going to show up again. So. Will you be feeding the dog uh, homemade food? No, no, I'm not okay. into that stuff. All right, we f- we feed Duke some homemade food. We oh, nice! Some some rice and ground beef and some vegetables awesome. and stuff. And uh, I I hate doing it. So um, yeah, it gets it real gross up. real fast, man. Real annoying, real mm-hmm. annoying to do as frequent. But if you try to buy it from these companies, you're yeah. gonna have to take out a second mortgage to afford it. Right? So. No, I I I. This is far afield of what we normally talk about, but uh, I'm we very... need random topics. We need the people to know what's going on in our lives here. Right? I am very comfortable letting whatever multinational corporation compress my dog's food into small 
bite-sized uh, chunks and putting it in a bag, in a shelf-stable bag. I'm, I'm good with that. Okay, right? There we go. So if you guys don't agree, let Andrew know. You know where to find Please, him. I, yeah. No, no, let him At know. Jake Burns no. underscore 18. Let him know. Let him know. All right, here we go. So next section we have is free agency, Andrew. This is a relatively long one. I, I think that maybe um, you might be better at uh, running through this one than me. I think I feel like this is multi-layered, and you're just good at this. See what you got. <laughs> Getting all of the most uh, appealing tasks tonight. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is from Commander of Awesome. Uh, he says he's pretty infatuated with the drafting process, particularly where it goes wrong. Uh, so his suggestion is that over the off season, it would be fun to uh, discuss the draft process and some of like the Brown past Browns misses, like David Vacune. Uh, Barkevius Mingo, Perion Winfrey, etc. Um, I was out on Barkevius Mingo the minute they made that pick. Yeah. Has there yeah. ever been a high pick that you've been immediately out on? Like, I know we have actually a good question later yeah. on this topic, but I have to ask you spot, ask you right now, a big decision at the top of the draft that you were like, I'm out on that. I saw Barkevius Mingo at, a, at, a, at an Indians game throwing the first pitch and he looked like a, he looked like a corner. Yeah. He had no muscle on him. So the two for me, the 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 one at the top of the draft that was the most memorable was Cameron Wimbley over Haloti Nada. That was mm. obvious at the time, and that was a long, long time ago. I was very upset about that. But the one that I felt like was when I kind of turned the corner from being a casual fan into being a little too interested in this stuff was I got so upset about Montario Hardesty. Yeah, you've mentioned that one a few times. That, that really – like I – Part of it is I got too angry. It was one of those like, oh, I'm too angry about this. Like I'm I'm moving furniture. I'm too angry. You know, like it's this is not how a person should be. But also it just felt so clear they didn't have a need at running back. And if they did, that wasn't the guy. So yeah. it was it was both. And then there was the I was starting to understand the analytical side of it in terms of a running back is not a great value in the second round unless you think they're a true difference maker. Mm-hmm. which he very clearly wasn't he, even at that point it never yeah. was at Tennessee. So I have one very defined one that, Great. That, that, that got me. Now I remember being young and writing down draft picks. I thought it was fun. I've always loved it, but one where I'm like, they are never going to figure this out. It's the Julio Jones trade. I, I was at the point where I'm like, how can you look at the lack of talent, high end talent and think that this is a smart decision to trade out of this spot? And I get Phil Taylor, right? I understand some of the things that happened there, but like I have, I will never forget being, that was the most angry I have been at a decision that they've made around the draft. And there have been a lot, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm not happy to admit that uh, the Johnny Manziel stuff I could, I could get myself to accept. Didn't know enough about Justin Gilbert at the time to have a hot take on that. And it seemed like most people liked him. So you know, I, yeah, man, I think a lot of people who are maybe even younger could get, could kind of point to the decision to trade out of the spot to draft Deshaun Watson earlier, right? There's another uh, key point in the whole process here, but there's so many. But anyway, I wanted to ask you what your some of your earliest ones that you remember because it's always kind of a fun trip down uh, memory lane in terms of, like you said, I'm I'm getting too mad at this. But they were yeah. so bad for so long. The the Brandon Whedon one also sticks oh, out. Just it it felt twenty eight year old quarterback. It felt so obvious at the time. That that's the thing is that there was a long period of time where, you know, you often will say, I 
I'm just some guy on a couch. There's no way I could do what they do. There was a long period of time where you could reasonably say I could do what they do. Hundred percent. They're they're that bad at it for that long. You could you could definitely say like like yeah. Fan fan voting would have been a more appropriate way to run the franchise for about a decade. Couldn't agree more. So let's continue the question from uh, Commander of Awesome. He says, reading up on Vicoon stats, only played 17 snaps in the NFL, 16 of them in the uh, in one Browns game against the Bears. No stats. How does that happen? on a team bereft of talent or consider this epic called the shot on Kevin white and his running style based on combine footage, essentially poster, uh, watched his 40 run and, uh, there's like a, there's a, yeah, there's like a link to an old Reddit thread that yeah. is a guy watching Kevin white run and saying that he's going to be a bust based on the way that he runs. And even then he was right. He was right. A lot of injuries for that guy. Um, was it the, was it the Browns who drafted, was it Vincent Mayle that they drafted in the yeah. fourth round and cut Washington him before State. the season even got to the I think that's right. Fourth round pick cut before the season even gets started. Didn't even make the roster. So, you know, uh, the Browns have so many of these. We could do an individual podcast on it. But, but yeah, we will try to dig into some of that stuff, Commander of Awesome. Yeah, um, at a get certain, you get draft. to a certain time window and, and the players couldn't even still be in the league and so the people are more willing to talk openly about what happened and so i think some of those stories might be interesting but it's also obviously incredibly depressing <laughs> yeah you can go down i remember i did some redrafts not too long ago maybe three or four off seasons ago and it's like this sucks these these are so bad anyway uh next question comes from chris smith any interest in bringing dearness johnson back if he's let go by jacksonville or is that too much looking at yesterday to fix tomorrow's problems yes i'm 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 good on dearness johnson um the Browns need something more significant in the running back room, in my my opinion, which goes to our next question, Andrew, from Christy. She asks, what free agent running back should the Browns seriously go after? What's a first and second tier level free agent wide receiver as well? So, again, I think that you and I have talked to running backs where we said mm-hmm. um, Austin Eckler yep. is a guy you'd be interested in, kind of late career, different skill set. It'd be really nice to have a guy very comfortable catching the football out of the backfield. Yes. Um if and they, really great in pass protection as well. Yeah, so that one would make some sense. If we're talking younger, there are two names I keep going back to, which is DeAndre Swift, who they have been documented to have had interest in back when the Lions traded him. And then Zach Moss is the other one that I go to as well. Do we have any to add to that? Or I think I think that's kind of where we're at right now. No, I, I love I love that list. I think if if they end up with any of the three of those players, you you should be happy. Right on. Okay. Uh, and then first and second tier wide receivers, you know, as people are posting today about like, I've seen it come up frequently about Mike Evans. It's like Mike Evans is not leaving the South. I, I have such a hard time seeing Tampa get rid of him. And if Tampa doesn't do right by him, there are so many teams that know him well in the NFC South. I think he'd be pretty inclined to stay down that direction. Weather's warmer dome environments like i just don't see him maybe if he wanted to like go to baltimore it's possible uh, but the, i just don't see him coming up to cleveland it, it, it is so far-fetched to me so um kind of off that i mean my first tier guys would be higgins and Pittman. yep second tier like uh i haven't really dug into this quite yet but probably like hollywood brown you mentioned on the first show He's in that second tier mold. Calvin Ridley's um, out there. Calvin Ridley. Yeah, those are yeah, I think those are two names to know for the second tier. I feel 
relatively comfortable in that. And those guys could shift up the ladder because right. I do have a hard time seeing T Higgins just truly being the Bengals. Like even though the quote came out today that there's only so much uh, of the pie to go around, right? The salary cap pie to go around. I get that, but it's like letting him go for no return. is kind of reminds me of last year where everybody's infatuated with Daron Payne in Washington. And they just tag him. I think he's just going to get tagged and play another year. I don't think that the Bengals want, to let two of their three top receivers go. I mean, obviously Tyler Boyd is going to be moving on. So I don't envision a world in which they're comfortable losing another one when they could just keep him for one season and then potentially tag and trade him at some point. But at the minimum, they'll tag and trade him. Like, I just don't see him hitting free agency fair and square. I think that's the other name that I'm interested in is Tyler Boyd. I could have I could have some interest. I need to study some more of what he's done because he's been overshadowed by the bigger names, but... He also hates Cleveland. <laughs> He's had some gnarly comments over the years about about the Browns, but some of that stuff fades if the money's right, you know. So, um, yeah, I I think we should start. <laughs> we've been doing the offensive coordinator stuff. We probably need to start digging into some of these free agents. We'll we'll get a little more in depth at that. I promise. In the coming weeks. So, next question comes from Amman. He said, "Could you please explain the basic premise of restructuring a contract and the benefits?" Example is it seems uh, as simple as taking Nick Chubb's contract for this year, restructuring it and spreading it over two. So as far as I understand this, Andrew, the reason you restructure contracts is to push money down the line, right? So you lower the salary cap number of the year that you're in to fit in more contracts, more money, more budget. And then as the salary cap keeps expanding in future years, which is what we're all projecting, unless some abnormal world crisis hits again, like the COVID-19 pandemic, which had a big impact on the cap. It's going to keep going up as the NFL continues to print money. And then, yeah, you're putting off some of the the larger cap. but that percentage of the cap used goes down because obviously the salary cap total number goes up. So it's just, it's like a credit card with no interest is the best way I can equate it. So it's not the worst thing in the world to push off payments. Like if I came up to you and said, Hey, I have a $50,000 car. You can give me $50,000 right now for it, or you can spread it out over seven years with no interest. And you would probably say, yeah, I don't mind spreading that out over seven years without interest. There's some other maybe nitty gritty details you could get into there, but just in general, that's the, the premise. Now, like the example of Nick, the the reason the player now there are variables inside of all these so like nick next year is not guaranteed any money in his contract he gets some pretty healthy numbers per game so for every game played i think andrew it's like four hundred thousand dollars on a on a on a game day bonus i could be wrong on that but i'm pretty sure that's it to make it to his cap number which is pretty large so i think there's a chance that we see nick saying I don't know how many games I'm going to play this year. And the Browns saying, hey, instead of a 14 million cap number for this year, let's reduce that to seven and we'll guarantee you six of it or something like that. So Nick gets some guaranteed money, isn't forced to play games to get that money as he gets his knee right. And everybody is happy, kind of similar to Mixon in in that regard, where the number goes down, but the guarantee can go up for Nick and give him some guaranteed dollars, whereas he had to earn some of that money in the last year of his contract. When you write that contract and when Nick is signing it, he's like, yeah, man, in 2024, I'm going to be, I'm good. I'll earn that money. It's no problem. Right? So there's um, give and take on both sides to make that happen. I hope I explained it right. Andrew, does all that make sense? I could have missed something. 
No, I think that's correct. And I okay. think the the most important thing with a, a player like Nick Chubb is I think as much as it would make sense to restructure him, and I think they will, I think what they want to do in that case is actually renegotiate the contract. That's like entirely they, possible, yes. Right. I think they want to sit down with the player and say, you don't have any guarantees this year, but your cap number is too high. If we give you some guarantees over the next two years – in exchange for lower cap numbers, would that is that something you'd be willing to do? I think that's probably more the the road they're going to go down. The important thing to remember is when you see a player like Deshaun Watson's contract get restructured, that happens without the player's approval. That mm-hmm. that's just that's essentially an accounting trick is the best way to think about it. A renegotiation, on the other hand, will involve the agent and the team talking. And coming to terms on an on essentially a new deal, and that's I think what's more likely to happen with Nick Chubb. Agreed. Well said. All right. Next question in more of the draft mold here. Obviously, what are your realistic dream or dream draft targets in the early draft process? Um, Owen Butler says amazing work on the pod as usual. Thank you, Owen, for that. Um, we are very early. Uh, I think. I, I, let me let me throw it to you first, Andrew. Do you have anybody that comes to mind uh, as we we really shift in the middle of February to looking at this once we get more of the uh, results from Senior Bowl stuff, and then we start working toward the combine and the testing data? Uh, it's when we really shift. We're going to start doing some mock drafts soon, but um, in general, uh, it's uh, it's not like we're heavily into it yet. But go, I don't know if you have anyone. Go ahead. Yeah, we we already talked about Jordan Morgan, the tackle from Arizona. He's definitely on that short list of players to me that I think could be a starter for the Browns and might be available to them. Uh, And then you start to talk about all the wide receivers. I think it's so hard to know. We're still early enough that it's, it's hard to know who's realistic for the Browns to be thinking about, because there are some players that I, like I want to say Malachi Corley's name from Western Kentucky. I, I'm not up to date on exactly where he's expected to slot in the, in the draft, but there, there's, I mean, a half dozen wide receivers. This, the, the, at this point, Jake, every year, there's like a half dozen wide receivers that you would love to have. And it seems like the trick is figuring out which one of them is going to be available in the fifth round, like the Rams did with Puka Nakua. Because yeah. it, obviously that is not going to happen every year, but a version of that is happening every year. I mean, you, you brought up Amon Ra St. Brown. That was a fourth round pick. Like, there, it is becoming a yearly occurrence that you can find a Pro Bowl to All Pro level wide receiver on day three, and I'm not asking the Browns to do that because that's unrealistic. But I just, in general, there are opportunities for them to find a contributing wide receiver, and so far that has been a little elusive for this front office. It's interesting when you start looking at these. The range you're so far out in the range of players, so like draft to draft you're looking at like i can't believe that player's available in this mock draft kind of thing right so i mean where i look i'm su- i'm super interested in wide receiver at this point like if i had to say this player is my dream player early in the process i'll just give you one name jalen polk the kid from washington uh, if he's in the 50s or high 40s i would love to go move up and get him kind of see him as a prototypical Z. Like I just would, would really like to sort of see him get an opportunity to work with or near um, 
Amari Cooper. And I think that would be a really great fit for the future of the wide receiver room. So there's a name. That's what I'm, but I'm really, is there like Xavier worthy? Like what are these guys getting into the second round? I don't know, man. Like it's, it's tricky, but if I had to pick a dream guy, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So there we go. Next one comes from, um, uh, comes from, let's see, let's do Evan Dawson's slew of questions here, Andrew, and then we'll go to Philly's one last. Oh, it's just big, one big one. All right. <laughs> it's, it's a lot it's, of words. Let's get to it. Yeah. So he's, he's doing a little bit of a fact check on the fumble. Um, well, I mentioned the other night when we were talking about the Lions losing that the Browns, you have the fumble from the 80s that is up there in terms of heartbreak. And he was kind of reminding us that if Biner scores that touchdown, the Browns aren't ahead. They're just tied with Denver. Yeah, people screw that up all the time. I definitely had in my head that they were. Yeah, they had made a, a really big late rally. Yeah. And um, that yeah, that wasn't to give them the lead. Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. But that is something I see a lot. So there was a minute and five seconds remaining. Now, of course, this is the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so... 65-second drives for field goals didn't happen as often. Field goal kicking in general was less reliable than it is now. But I think part of the reason that people felt like the Browns would win that game is because in those days, a minute five is not enough. But but Evan's point is that they had a, a minute five and they had the Broncos had been scoring basically any time they had the ball. So he feels like even if Biner scores, the Broncos are probably still favored to win because they've got the chance mm-hmm. in regulation plus – whatever would happen in overtime. So it, it feels like the, the Browns were still significant underdogs, even if that, that uh, touchdown. So his, his, his only real question here is, is there a way to find out what the Browns expected win rate would have been with the Biner touchdown? Not to my knowledge. I, I I'm sure it's somebody could, who does study this, stuff, like, you know, does the. Right. But I, I think the, the, the question is those models are kind of premised on modern football. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. What, what those calculations look like taking into effect what kicking was like in 1987, the weather, the field conditions, those sorts of things. So you'd almost have to train a model based on football from the 1980s and then run the numbers. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't have that, but it does seem like if my, uh, my camera is telling me the truth, Jake might be doing a little bit of research assisting of his own right now. So Maybe we'll answer this one live on air, but I think it's a it's a good point in general about how over time losses can even seem worse in retrospect than they were because the Browns, I mean, by the the story that Evan's talking about there, the Browns weren't really in a position to win that game, had to make a furious comeback, and it fell just short. But when you combine that with the drive as well, losing on a a, a last second drive by John Elway in similar circumstances, then it just becomes two plays, two games that are known by one word, right? The drive and the fumble. And so in retrospect, I, I, we talked about it the other night. I think the Jameer Gibbs fumble is maybe the most memorable or infamous part of the lions collapse against the 49ers. But of course, a ball hitting a defensive back in the face mask and then bouncing into Brandon Ayuk's hands is also way up there and probably more memorable, right? The real question is, Andrew, if if they had been able to go for two. Is Marty going for two there? A little 39-38 lead? <laughs> I think he's a pretty pretty famously risk-averse coach, so I think he's probably kicking that extra point. And 
you know, they're at home. They're gonna they're playing for overtime. Webster Slaughter watching the play gets the blame. Have you? When's the last time you went back and watched that play? It's been a minute. It's been. Let's do it live right now. I want to do it at the same time. You got it. So I'm going to send you the link. Mm -hmm. I can probably just look it up. I'm sure. I know, but then we got to make sure we're on the same video. That's the tricky part. Okay, you send me the link. All right. So uh, let's go to this one. That is actually a YouTube channel called The Fumble. Uh, Probably not the one that we want Andrew. All right. So we're going to. Uh, I'll put the background noise of this play if we want to torture our entire fan base. I don't think this is going to this is going to be maybe the least popular moment in the history of this podcast. I just want to go through and see what we see. I think it's actually an interesting thing to All break right, down. So we're starting it from zeros. Starting it from zeros. It's only a 30 second clip. So make sure you turn your volume down or it's going to be a raging loud volume in your ear. Uh, it is muted. Okay. So we have like a little offset. So it looks like we have two by one. 11 is it 11 personnel might be two by two i don't see a tight end there but i see two split receivers left i hated the old like they zoomed in so much yeah i think that's kevin mack that's the fullback kevin mack so i think biner is it's like a strong i think it's a full fullback right i don't i don't I think see this is, i, I just think, think this is 21 offset. i don't you see a second back on the field and i like think he it? is going to be revealed biner is, right, is let's play biner was not 34 am i hitting play no, yeah, yeah, you you were right. That wasn't uh, boy Webster Slaughter's watching that play, isn't he? I I think it's just two by two with the tack. Is it a tackle trap or a guard trap? The guard is pretty deep, so it's the right guard. It's just it's just a counter. It's just a little inside. It's a little inside counter, a little fold counter here. So as I'm watching it through, we're kicking out the in man line of scrimmage, but he logs in. So we have. A runoff at the top of the screen, and I think I think Slaughter just misses the safety. Yeah, so I I would imagine what what they're talking about here is Slaughter's outside on the left side of the play, and his uh, his man is off, and he doesn't he, just him. he doesn't touch anyone. Yeah. Oh boy, and doesn't just, get on the ground for the fumble either. Doesn't even doesn't see seem the to know what's happening. No. Yeah, that's pretty sickening. I remember my mom telling me like everyone in the room was yelling touchdown because they thought he was in pretty similar to uh, what just happened at the one yard line for Zay Flowers. Yep. Well, that's tough. All right. Well, you know, we, we went down and watched one of the worst moments in Brown's history together. I do understand why there would be some like slaughter didn't touch a soul on that play. I wish there was an all 22 view of that. Wouldn't that be cool? Anyway. All right. Tough scene. Hate to bring that up to you folks, but uh, Evan, actually blame Evan. Evan, yep. you know, there you, you brought it up. Uh, we had to do it. A lot of uh, helmet, we used to call it helmet cam in it back in the day, just watching the play. All right. So Philly asked our last question. What is your all-time best and worst prediction when it comes to anything pertaining to the, uh, to the Browns? Draft prospect, season outcome, player signing. Okay. We should probably do best uh, prediction. You, your face is, you're like absolutely flummoxed on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so humble, Jake. It's hard to remember all my wins, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm just asking you to pick your best one, your best <laughs> prediction, <laughs> right? Uh, I Well, I'll, I'll say I was pretty certain about a week out that they were picking Mayfield in 18. 
that's a good one because it was like up until the day before, even the day of, where people were kind of jumping all over the map, like right. predicting Darnold and some stuff like that. Even Josh Allen was getting yep. some late buzz uh, on that one. My right. worst one of recent, for, I mean, like really being into his recent, I was a Sony Michelle guy. I was not a Nick Chubb guy. I was a Sony Michelle guy, admittedly. So that's in my worst prediction yeah. round. But Sony Michelle at that time was gone. He was a mm-hmm. first round pick. So mm-hmm. um, I was more than fine, happy taking Nick where they selected him. Um, I my, mean, even more recently than that, I thought the Deshaun Watson trade was a home run. Yeah. That's, uh, we're sitting in the middle of that one, maybe not looking great here yeah. before long, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was completely convinced about that. I would say my best prediction, I, again, we're talking recent. I, I don't want to go back to like being in high school and saying stupid stuff like, you know, uh, about about some of these guys when you weren't really taking it serious. I was really in love with the idea of taking JOK. I mean, I really felt you, like. Yeah, you were all over that. I remember that, that very That clearly. was one that I wanted to happen really badly. And it was one of the few times I can really remember where I'm like, I want this to happen. And they did it. And they had the mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. sort of vision. So. I would say my worst was the Sony Michelle, which comes to mind. And then uh, JOK, um, you know, that one, that one was pretty. I, mean, I would also say most of us were really wrong about 2019. Almost yeah. everybody was. Yeah. I saw very few people pushing back on Freddie Kitchens. Very few. Yeah. And, and expectations were people were playing the schedule game and talking 12, 13 wins. So. Also, you could talk about Odell. I mean, I was very into the deal when they made right. it. Right, that was one another of those, one that felt like a slam dunk. One of those trades where I could tell you where I was when I heard it, yep. kind of thing. Definitely, you know? yeah. So that one was. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of worst prediction yeah. content here yeah. than I th- the other way. I think I've been pretty online with where they've where they're going to end up in the past two seasons. Uh, I was pessimistic. It's funny. I'm, th- I'm thinking about this now because I was when the Watson trade happened, I was fully on board in terms of thinking it was the right move. But then by the time the season came around with the suspension shenanigans, I had really kind of soured on the situation and, and mm-hmm. was more pessimistic about where the Browns were going to end up. And so I, I think I predicted their record correctly in 22. And then this year I was really super bullish, had them at like 13, 12, 13 wins. So that's that's a little bit over the top. But I, I feel like my feel over the past two years, season prediction-wise, has been pretty decent. Yeah, I also think if they were healthy, you, you could have had a shot at that. Yeah, I, I think they the, the Browns are healthy this year. They're making a run at 12, 13 wins and a run at the yeah. Ravens. Yeah, thank For you. sure. All right, that's a pod. That's a mailbag. That's a whole day of shows. We, we hopefully you guys are enjoying these. Um, uh, I have to be a little better getting them out earlier so you guys can can see that and ask your questions. But we appreciate those of you who did get questions over. Even Evan, who took us down the dark path of watching the fumble uh, live on a podcast, which uh, it's not something many of you probably enjoyed us doing. But you know, as they say, Andrew, we don't live in our fears anymore. We're we're moving. We're past this. We're okay. Rounds of rounds of uh, you know. Move past the fumble. I think it's time. Maybe like 30, 40 years away. You know, maybe time to move on. What do you think? Maybe. No. No? no. Never no. goes away. No. All right. Well, neither way. Uh, thanks for being here, guys. We appreciate you stopping by listening to two podcasts today. And 
you know, taking the, uh, taking the effort to, to listen and ask your questions and all that stuff. We appreciate it. Thanks for being here. We'll check back in with us tomorrow where I think we're going to try to get with, um, with Jordan and do our season awards. Cause we haven't done that yet. Put a bow on this season and then, um, get into some weekend content where we start predicting the pro bowl games winners. So excited. Can't wait yeah, I've got some it. flag football bets that everybody needs to hear. Yeah. Got to get in on those early. All right. Well, that's it guys. Thanks for being here. Be well, go Browns. Mm-hmm.